Welcome to the Remote Leadership Podcast. I'm Deborah Dinocenzo. For more than two decades, I've helped organizations and leaders successfully go virtual. Join me to learn tips, techniques, and skills that leaders and teams in your organization can implement now to achieve effectiveness in our evolving remote workplace. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Remote Leadership Podcast. As the workplace continues evolving to more hybrid models, I've been focused recently on identifying the skills, behaviors, and techniques that successful leaders are applying in the hybrid workspace. My guest today has led his organization through a significant workplace transition and will share with us his insights about leaders who are most effective in terms of engagement, motivation, retention, and satisfaction of their teams in this new work environment. I'm delighted to welcome David Peckinpah, President and CEO of Merits, a global incentive, rewards, and events firm that delivers multiple and innovative solutions for clients across all markets. So thanks for joining me today, David, and welcome. Hey, Deborah, thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. So tell us a little bit, just in the way of background, uh, how Merits has evolved and kind of where you are, where you were, a little bit of pre-COVID and where you are now, <laughs> and then we can get into challenges and you know what, what's really going well and what you see in terms of the really good leaders and how they're yeah. doing yeah, happy to. And and just hearing the word COVID sort of sends me into shivers. So <laughs> I, I, I think I have PTSD about uh, that experience. Uh, so Merits is uh, approaching its 130th anniversary. So uh, we are in the fourth generation of Merits family ownership. I was appointed the CEO about, a, about 18 months ago and uh, first non-family CEO, so no pressure. Huh. And, uh, and it's an, yeah, it's been an interesting company as it's evolved over those generations. Um, you know, traditionally, we were very centered around our physical offices. And I would say that was true as early as 10 years ago, or as recently as 10 years ago. We started to see a significant shift in our recruiting uh, efforts, as well as just pressures from a financial point of view of all these physical offices that we had. And I think we had 12 across the country uh, at one point. Uh, and, and with the headquarters being in St. Louis, uh, as we started to reduce our physical footprint, as it made sense, uh, then the pandemic hit. And the pandemic was obviously a, a significant milestone and, and uh, tipping point, if you will, I think, around the whole workplace experience, physical workplace, hybrid workplace, right. et cetera. And that was the big shift for us. So we uh, we took advantage of it, right? You don't want to waste a good crisis. And that crisis right. hit us, hit us hard. Yeah. Because um, we, one big part of our business is in the events business and we were basically outlawed. You couldn't gather, you know, people 50 or more pretty much around the world. So that really shifted everything for us. So where we could, and when leases were coming up, we didn't renew those leases. So our physical footprint uh, really fell off considerably and appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, we're a big real estate holder in St. Louis uh, from an ownership perspective, but we lease for the most part everywhere else. So we started to reduce that footprint and really changed our talent acquisition efforts. So instead of being so centered around 
let's say St. Louis and Chicago, Detroit and DC and California, we now could recruit from anywhere. And at a recent town hall, I showed a heat map of where our employee base was 10 years ago and where it is today. And the spread of those dots and on that heat map is incredible. So we have people now from the Northwest to the Southeast uh, and everywhere in between. And so it's been a, it's been a shift. We've obviously had virtual employees and hybrid employees for many, many years, but the significant shift to a more uh, welcoming environment around the hybrid workplace and virtual employment uh, has been uh, certainly front and center over the last few years. So you really were thinking about this pre-COVID in terms Absolutely. of, you know, do we really need all this real estate? Do we need really need to have people in these locations? And was it talent acquisition that really drove that initially? And I think, you know, it was cost. I mean, that's, let's yeah, face cost. it. I mean, part of it is cost um, yeah. and utilization. You know, you, you start making sure you have the right ROI. Do we, do we need those um, salespeople in particular, you know, headquartered out of an office when they're never in the office? Right there, if they're doing their job, they're out seeing customers right. and not sitting in their office. So, and we had a lot of those sort of uh, remote and, and regional uh, situations that for sales in particular. Right. Um, our, our clients started changing, right? We had clients that, let's say, uh, a Toyota Lexus that was based in Southern California and they moved to uh, Texas. So, there's a big shift, and all of a sudden, all of our team is there in Southern California. But now everyone's gone to Plano from that account. And so what do you do? So there was a mixture of different pressures. Uh, but let's face it, you know, the pandemic is what really was the, the tipping point there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gave you the bigger incentive. Absolutely. While you were doing no events, you had time to think about these things, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, that and survival. No, right, no exactly, exactly. So how did you make it through the pandemic? If we could just like, you know, go back yeah. to that painful time for a minute. I'm just curious because of the nature of your business. Yeah, the nice thing is we are a holdings company. So we had obviously our, our what we not, we call business events. Part of the business was the one that was primarily affected. Uh, we have a big automotive practice that works with uh, automotive manufacturers and dealer networks yeah. to maximize that relationship. And then our loyalty rewards channel partner uh, part of the business did not really suffer. So the, the benefit of having that portfolio uh, really helped insulate the, the company overall. Yeah. And we were able to get through it. We weren't eligible for any of the PPP dollars were too big for that. So okay. uh, we really had to bootstrap ourselves through it. And we've got great owners and we had a business model that was sustainable and that, that really made a huge difference. So you did some belt tightening and refocused on some things. So I'm just curious before we get into some of the leadership things. So did you during that COVID time, did you start to shift to uh, virtual events since your face-to-face yeah. event business shut down and was that new for the company as well? Yeah, we had done some of that, but obviously, like so many in our business, within 60 days, you had to make that pivot. And so we then uh, spun up a very strong uh, digital practice uh, uh -huh. that supported the you know non-in-person face-to-face events. Yeah. Uh, I would say that uh, did really well for about a 12-month period. And then you could just, it's like a reverse hockey stick, right? It just started falling off the face as soon as we could start traveling again which started in the spring of 21. Um, we really started events coming back. And by that fall, they had really started to come back. Even with the, 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 the new wave of COVID that hit that fall, we were still saw an industry that was committed to, to getting back together face-to-face. -to -face. 
So, uh, and that now that practice is down to virtually nothing. Hmm. So uh, we fortunately had the ability to spin it up and then ramp it down uh, based on client demand. So uh, aside from how you've uh, met client needs, how have you all internally with more dispersion and people not in offices working remotely from home, or I assume you don't have a lot of satellite, small satellite offices, how have you kept your team connected and how have you managed culture, for example? It's always a big driving yeah. concern. Yeah, it, you know, it's a, it's a huge issue. And, and you know, my personal point of view is everyone tell, if anyone tells you they haven't figured out, then they're lying because we're all still scrambling to figure right. out this whole, whole still environment. still in the mess of it. It's still in the mess of it because, you know, it's, they're big issues, right? Talent acquisition, talent retention, uh, career pathing, career development, you know, work-life balance, all these things really come into play. Uh, I would say there are a number of things that we did. One is uh, we eliminated some offices, mm-hmm. uh, but in many other locations, we just significantly downsized. Mm. So we might have had a 30,000 square foot facility in Twinsburg, Ohio. We reduced that down to about an 8,000 square foot office in Beechwood, Ohio, uh, just because we no longer had the demand. And even that has proven to be too big, you know, oh, based on, on monitoring utilization. Did the same thing in our Frederick, uh, Maryland office. Washington, D.C., Southern California, you know, so many examples. Um, So we've been wise, I think, around, first of all, surveying our workforce, what were their needs, really trying to get a pulse of what would they use if it was there. Um, Mm -hmm. And what we found is even based on that, people were still overly uh, optimistic Mm -hmm. about their use of office space. And we probably still have some offices that are are still too big. So the physical layout uh, was important. Then the technology in those physical locations, we needed to make sure uh, met the standards. So, you know, depending on what technology we're on Zoom, uh, as a company, we're a Microsoft company, so we use Teams. So we started installing Teams rooms, which were really the most current technology so that when we did gather, uh, we gathered effectively, right? You weren't messing around with all the technology. We also found when we downsized, we found office space in buildings that had large meeting rooms and meeting space, when we wanted to bring the team together, we could do that. And that's been, uh, our, our head of real estate has done a fantastic job of doing that. So we'll find uh, offices that have theaters, have ballrooms, uh, so we can bring our people, because we still have a good concentration of people in different physical locations around the country, but we don't have to have that every day, right? We right. can they do that. They, even if they wanted to all come in on the same day and sit at a right. desk, you can't accommodate that anymore. Can't, can't accommodate it, but... Yeah. We do want to keep that culture alive with team meetings. We do happy hours. We do picnics. Uh, we either use that space that's available there or we'll go off site. Yeah. But we don't we don't have to have that permanent 30,000 square foot footprint where we can get away with something smaller and use more flexible, um, you know, meeting and gathering uh, environments. And that's worked really well. Yeah. Um, the whole thing around culture is front and center. So we kicked off um, really in the midst of, of the pandemic. A cultural initiative because we took a big hit. I mean, we, I'm sure, um, right? We we had to furlough and, and lay off a significant number of employees, and that has a big effect, mm-hmm. uh, especially when your core value is first taking care of each other. Right. And but you know the the number one thing we need to do for, to show care is to have a business for people to come back to, and uh, and that was you know rule number one is is survival, and then two is. How do you how do you come out of this better and as a better and stronger company? And then how do you rebuild that culture? And so we appointed ahead of that 
uh, she, she formed uh, work groups across the company of six different areas of concentration. Mm-hmm. Everything from, you know, cultural norms to meeting and meeting environments and meeting culture uh, to mental health and mental uh, health care. And those teams then from a grassroots effort helped lead the rebuild of the culture. So how do we want to relook at our core values? How do we want to look at our purpose? How do we want to look at those six different areas um, and make that reflect the realities of the new workforce? Yeah, that, was, um, that, that word just came to my mind as you were talking. So COVID wasn't a crisis for you so much as an opportunity of reflection. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, you, we Rethink. looked at it as if, if we looked at it as a crisis, then your head's in the bunker. Yeah. yeah. And and I always look the you know, you got to keep your head looking forward through the front windshield, not in the rearview mirror. And so we we really spun up uh, like our innovation practice. We kept all the focus on that so that we kept coming to the market with new products and services, mm-hmm. but that people were front and center. We're a professional services firm. Yeah. And so our, our assets walk in and out of our doors or in and out of their homes or apartments uh, each and every day. And so that's what we needed to zero in on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and then to me, one of the essences of that was all around communication. So we then put a, a significant amount of effort into a communication strategy mm-hmm. that not only went all the way through the pandemic, but then has evolved over time coming out of that so that if nothing else, our people could say that at least we let them know what was going on and we communicated. And to me, that builds a foundation of trust, foundation of transparency that leads to then that rebuilding of culture. And I think that's been critically important for us. So during COVID, you ramped up communication. Uh, we did. We actually did that for, I think, about a nine month period. We had a weekly town hall every Friday. Okay. Um, and you, that, were invo- you were involved. That, in I led I led every one of those. Led. Okay. Yeah, that's why I bought that nice microphone because yeah, we, okay. <laughs> we had so money and we hired a, uh, yeah. a company in St. Louis to help us with the production of that. So it was good quality. Yeah. yeah. And that allowed us to tell people this is what's going on because, you know, early days, we thought it would be over in 60 or 90 days. Well, you know, a year and a half later, you're still dealing with it. So Well, it, you know, I keep remi- I often remind people, first of all, sidebar pitch for Yeti microphones. You and I are both using them. They're great. <laughs> And, you know, when we first, we kind of forget when we at first all went home, we were, we were under the impression it was going to be a three week adventure. Remember? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, well, as soon as this is over and we get back, salespeople just took a little break, but they were waiting till they could get back to showing up to see people. And, and then it, you know, it was months. So yes. uh, talk about a years shift. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I've talked with a lot of salespeople that had to learn how to sell by zoom because you could not sell during that time. Correct. Okay. So you haven't continued weekly. No, no, no. Then we went to months, every other week. Then we went to once a month and now we're to uh, three a year. Yeah. All company town halls, but I then added a monthly video series. Okay. Called Great. Merits Minutes. And okay. that allows me to record a video every month that I share with the whole company. Um, here's some key things, you know, something maybe came, came out of a board meeting or compensation related issues or strategic issues. Uh, we use that. And then we have our intranet, uh, which is called My Merits. And we put a lot of effort and energy into making sure that, that content was current, accurate, and, and updated on a regular basis. And we steer all of our people to that. That's where all the information is stored. So, you know, to me, it's it's a mix, right? It's that mix of communications. Uh, everyone 
learns differently. Some may listen to the videos, some may go to the My Merits, some may read a newsletter or uh, attend a town hall. So we've just got to hit them from every different direction to re so one, really reinforce. One of the shifts that's occurred in all of this is the notion of organizations becoming remote first. I'm just curious if you, if you know, in the screen that you go through in your thinking, if you all kind of, if you think of your organization as, you know, we're primarily a remote organization, therefore everything has to process in a way all these things you just rattled off or to yeah. make information accessible. You might not use that language, but it sounds like you do think like and operate like a remote first organization. We do. We're it's, it's a unique position for us because a huge part of our business is in-person face-to-face events. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. and so to, to go to that like remote first mentality would almost be counterintuitive. So we have to embrace it. But at the end of the day, we feel, and we, you know, we are, our whole company is based on a really deep understanding of behavioral science and neuroscience and human behavior. And people want to gather. We've seen yeah. that, right? You see that in the travel rebound. You see that in the rebound of our events industry. People want to be together. And so we still firmly believe that. We still firmly, we're better when we're together yep. than when, when we're apart. We've just got to make sure that the time when we're together is worth the investment of our colleagues time to come into the office, go through a commute, whatever it might be. Right, and, right. and our businesses are all different, right? We have one business that 99% of the people are all in St. Louis. Our events business is 70% of the people are distributed yeah. and, and another business that's in between. So we really can't have an office mandate because so many of our people are remote, but if you're there, we really encourage you to come in. It's better for career advancement. It's better for culture. It's better for, your mental health, I firmly believe. Right. Um, so we we are our our word is not taking a virtual mindset; it's a flexible mindset. Yeah, and, and you know the trick is to make, as you said, the time that you do have people together, make that meaningful and valuable, and use that time well. And then how to replicate and simulate that together time when people can't be together. So right. make those those team meetings really good. And you and I have talked offline about investing in the technology to make uh you know teams meetings you know, so everybody can hear effectively it's stunning to me that you know yeah. we have people flying around in the space station and we still have trouble connecting people <laughs> on, on, on meetings i mean right. we should be past that by now so right and and being able to see faces right That's yeah the, exactly exactly the... you know, we are innately social beings you you must recognize that and it, oh, yeah. it must be a little schizophrenic sometimes you're know, needing to gather people and that's what people pay you to help them have really great face-to-face -face events and, and still being so distributed as an organization. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's part of what it, why I wanted to talk with you because you're kind of, you got a uh, you know, foot in both sides of those. Yeah. We're, we're the probably the perfect Petri dish for what's going on in the world. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me a little bit about how your leaders have um, made their way through this, particularly those that have been around and, you know, we all know, we all, you know, kind of all grew up working in offices and here we are. Yep. So what have you seen, the kind of the essence of what you've seen about those leaders that really have pivoted, adapted, uh, embraced this doing well versus those that are struggling? You know, I, and I usually never think in the terms of generation. Uh, we usually think of terms more around personas than we do. Yep. Age, yeah, 
but I will say this is one where I've seen a distinct difference between generations. Okay. Um, and uh, we've got a generation that is, to your point, was traditional, uh, much more used to the in-person, in the office, five days a week, um, you know, whatever the hours were uh, mindset. And it's really tough for them to break out of that mm -hmm. uh, because there's a, I think, a bias around productivity if they can't see it, even though if you're on in person, you're not monitoring somebody on an hour by hour basis, but there's a sense of, you get a sense that they're there in the office and they're being productive. Well, they struggle with having the, the trust and the faith in that is actually going on um, with the employee that is, you know, hybrid or fully mm -hmm. virtual. Um, I've always had a much different, I put my first virtual employee in 1994. Um, yeah. I was in a, a hotel in California and put someone in Indiana. Uh, so I've always believed at the end of the day, it's getting the job done, setting the right expectations and the right metrics yep. and then measuring performance. And that's usually the, the 10 and people work differently, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's the reality. So I think we've struggled. Some of our leaders have struggled a lot more than others, but we've always had a leadership team. That's also been distributed. My head of HR, um, I'm headquartered in St. Louis. She's, she's in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, one of our other leaders in Detroit. We have another leader in California, another one in Southern Florida. So, you know, we've been used to that. Yeah. So um, if your direct reports, you're very, your direct reports are distributed as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so absolutely. you're. I have, I have one in Europe. Yeah. I mean, I have yeah. one in the Hague okay. too. So. Yeah. yeah. So it's the modern age. And it is the modern you age. You make a really good point. And I've said for a long time, even before all this remote stuff was even very popular, it really comes down to being clear about what your expectations are of people. I'm making sure they're clear about that and supporting them, you know, it, because we used to think if we saw them, I, I've always said, you know, if they were sitting in their office, they had their eyes open, they appeared to have a blood pressure, they must be working on the right things. Oh, yeah, right. They might be there working, but how, how would we know unless we had really good communication based on strong performance management? And I know you're not a big advocate of like, when we say performance management, I'd really appreciate if you'd clarify, we're not talking about the annual review. Correct. Oh, we're a big believer in performance management and, and building really, certainly a lot of time, building a performance management culture. Yeah. Um, but that's different than some processes that have been in place. I think I shared with you the other day that, that 12 years ago, I got rid of the annual employee review because to me, it never worked. It never worked for me. It never worked for my employees. This idea that you spend one time a year together and you hit them with all the things either they're doing right or doing wrong, and that's supposed to make a difference never made sense to me. And this, you know, the numeric measurement that then was tied into compensation. So we, we really blew all that up. We went to a, what we call an aspirational coaching model, which is manager employee on a monthly basis. Uh, we developed a model, we trained, uh, it's been very effective and, you know, you never should have a surprise with an employee, right? They should know right. exactly what the expectations are, how they're performing against that. And, uh, and that 360 feedback mechanism, and not only for them, but also for their manager, right? It helps their manager be better. Right. So um, that's a whole nother topic, but that, yeah. that's yeah. proven to be very successful for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's also knowing when they're struggling and they're, you know, they, they're, they've fallen off the rails and it's a matter of having the co right coaching for them at the right time, as opposed to at the end of the year, yeah. uh, we, we, well, we bring them. And imagine, imagine now with generative AI doing an employee review, 
you could go in and say, let's say you're my employee and go, give me a review of, you know, a meets expectation review for Deborah here, her key carriers and responsibility. And someone's going to spit out a review that is probably fairly accurate, but isn't meaningful. Does it impact the employee? Is it face to face? Is it, is it personal? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves uh, with companies that are still in that model. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. That's another, yeah. that's another whole <laughs> podcast. <too. laughs> that's another yeah, one. So, so your leaders that are like really nailing this, how are they um, handling the communication and the coaching? And I mean, the ones that you, that you don't have to think about because they're, they're doing it really well. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the what we just talked about, the aspirational coaching is a great way for them to interact with their management management team. And then that, trickles down, right? That goes through the whole organization. Uh, I think we, uh, communication, as I mentioned early on, is key. So we have a lot of departmental or uh, small group town halls okay, uh, where those teams get together that are in the sort of the same area, whether it's operations, finance, um, IT, you know, InfoSec, whatever that area is, they have their own town halls on a regular ongoing basis so that that community of like responsibilities is sharing and then we have uh, a variety of different initi- initiatives with alliances. Um, and a part of our DEI effort is around employee resource groups, mm-hmm. and and they get together and they have events for people that want to get involved in uh, in the five different ERGs that we have. Okay. Uh, and so all that helps managers do a better job of managing, helps employees feel part of the company, uh, it helps build culture. Uh, and, uh, and again, it comes down to regular communication. It prevents that gray zone of people filling in their own answers. And I think long-term builds trust and leadership. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't give them information. They make it up. They will absolutely make it up. Right. Right. So what keeps you awake at night, David? <laughs> people, talent. Okay. Yeah. And so absolutely finding, number one. Finding more of the right people. Finding the right people, uh, retaining the right people, being able to afford the right people. Obviously, inflation has had an impact on all businesses, but the inflation of uh, the employee base and the workforce uh, is obviously huge for a professional services firm like ours. So that's where I spend a lot of my time and energy is uh, working with our people and development team, focusing on our culture, working on how we recruit, who we recruit, we, you know, we hit the brakes with COVID. We went from 100 to zero almost mm-hmm. uh, overnight. And then we went from zero to 100 in like 60 days. So yeah, as soon as it turned around. Yeah, I don't know of any, any businesses that have ever had to go through that. Yeah. And uh, so many of us out there, many of your listeners, I'm sure, have experienced the same thing. So it puts so many pressures on and we have so many new people now. Uh, we got the people back that we could. But I think 65% of our workforce um, is new. And so they don't have the long-term history of the company and the culture. And so you got to rebuild all that. So it's, uh, it takes a lot of time and energy and it takes discipline. Yeah. And there's, you know, some benefit to new people with new ideas and looking at things, but, you know, in terms of the, you know, the culture and the, some of the institutional knowledge, not even memory, because sometimes institutional memory is, well, we don't do it that way here. We don't do it that way. Yeah. So we had had a lot of that. How have you handled onboarding since you've had so many new people and you've had to do that fast? It sounds like. I had to do it fast and, and uh, it's still a work in progress, but we, again, our culture team, one of the big initiatives they had was the onboarding experience. 
and we're an experienced design company. So mm -hmm. hopefully we know how to design uh, experiences and, and events. And so we really have gone through that entire process of what's the orientation look like? How does it happen? It happens many instances virtually. How do you get someone to feel a part of the organization? A lot of things I do, I write a personal note to every new employee uh, that comes in the company. Um, you know, I, things that I do, birthday cards to every single employee. And we're 2,400 employees and we've hired 1,400 people over the last 18 months. So it's my, I, I get some writer cramp. But I was going right, to say, is your hand tired, David? But it's a, it's the right thing to do. And, yes, yes. Uh, and then we send them a welcome package now, new employees. And it's like a, it's like a surprise box yeah. of log, logoed items. Um, and then we have a really robust on, onboarding uh, process that they do virtually. Uh, but we have a training team that that walks them through that, and it differs d based on the role in the department. But we get very positive feedback and, and reviews that they immediately feel a part of the family. They get a sense of the culture, uh, but you're only going to build that over time. Yeah, so you don't want them to in any way feel isolated, disconnected, uh, confused. Correct. And, so, and well, technology is one of the big things. You know, yeah. We've really worked hard with our tech team to say, What's that new employee need? Um, you don't want someone starting and then waiting three weeks for a computer, right? So, uh, and we had some of those issues early on because we yeah, were having yeah. so many people come on board, but our technology team and our support teams have been fantastic. So now there's a whole process around getting somebody set up in their home office and getting their technology up and running and help desk support. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on of all those yeah. things that they need. Yeah. So you've systematized a lot of those things. So they just happen. Yeah. As much as I can. And yeah. I don't want to look, we're not perfect, right? We, right. we right. still have our, our challenges and warts, but I think, you know, where we were 18 months ago to where we are now is night and day. Yeah. As we wrap up, I'm just curious about if you were talking to, uh, and you are talking to other leaders here, what would be the kind of the one message you would give to them of what they need to think about now? And as you look to the future, uh, the, the challenge that you see, so we've come a long way, but there's still going to be more, there's more yep. changes and, and it's still, it's not like it's discreet and we all know exactly what we're working with here. So what, what message would you leave for leaders to think about? Or you know, for, on? Yeah, for me, I think, um, you know, we're a purpose-driven company. I haven't uh, spoken to much about that. Uh, and I belong to an organization that is made up of CEOs of purpose-driven organizations. And so from a leadership perspective, finding your tribe, if you will, uh, that can be a sounding board and a, and a opportunity for learning, I think is really critical. So just as a leader, you know, taking care of yourself, uh, making sure that you're in the right place as a leader, I think is, is front and center. Yeah. But then when it comes to the business itself, you know, we're, we're a triple bottom line, bottom line company, right? Financial people and, and sustainability. We focus on all three of those pillars. But for me, being professional services, it's all about the people. And so I put culture, uh, the development and nurturing of that culture as my number one job. Um, everything aside, I think my owner would support that. I think the board would support that uh, as, long as, <laughs> as long as we're delivering on the other side. But yep, gotta um, deliver. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's why our core value is, is first take care of each other because, uh, and we, that's to us is a four stakeholder model, right? It's not just our employees, it's our clients, our partners and our communities. And, um, but to me, it's, it's all about the people and 
Uh, that's what I focus on. I think that's what got us through the tough times and will get us through the really good times that we know are ahead. Yeah. That is a great way to wrap up. And the image that came to mind is the reminder that we all get every time we get on airplanes, which you and I both know are packed full right now. Um, <laughs> and that is, uh, you know, you need to put on your own oxygen mask before you help others. So leaders tend to can get so wrapped up in what keeps them awake at night and lose sight of taking care of themselves as well and making sure they're they're together and strong enough to be strong for others. Yeah. So great, great yeah. way to wrap up. I uh, oh, good. that and uh, appreciate your time and absolutely, uh, you know, wishing you continued good luck and success in everything that you're doing. And, and thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Deborah. I hope, I hope it was useful for someone out there listening. So I'm have a great sure day. of that. No concerns about that. So thank you, David. All right. Take care. This is Deborah with a quick reminder about our remote leadership mastery program. This coaching program leverages intentional and authentic connections with team members to achieve targeted productivity and profitability. For individual leaders or small leadership groups, this is timely coaching to ensure hybrid leadership excellence. See the show notes for a link to schedule a call with me to learn more or to enroll. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Remote Leadership Podcast. To learn more about how I can help you and your team, your colleagues, and your organization master the skills, systems, and culture for the remote hybrid work environment, see the show notes for ways to reach me or contact me at remoteleadershippodcast.com. Thanks for listening and for always learning.